Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Alrighty, guys, another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast today, and on the line, I have Sarah Rodriguez. Now, Sarah, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Oh, okay. Health is a constant state of learning. It's never perfect. It's always evolving. And it's the most beautiful gift that I've ever felt and that I think any of us could ever ask for. Why do you feel that that is really that most beautiful gift? How, how does that, what does that mean to you? It's intensely personal. It's about, I mean, it really is about the individual. No one's health journey, no two people's health journey is going to be identical. Um, and, and I just think, I think things are beautiful when they're genuine 100% genuine and there's no way to kind of fake your own health journey like when you fall down that's a real fall and then you really have to get back up and really figure it out and really learn from it. there's no way to kind of sort of do that I mean it's you're all in or you're all out kind of thing and I think that's it's, it truly is incredibly individual I think that's the that's the key there Sarah I'm going to just hold on one second I'm going to take the video off because we're starting to it's starting to just back up. Okay. Oh no. Let's see if that improves it there. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Sarah, the reason I had you on, the reason I found out about you too, was uh, I had a couple episodes back. Mike Salami was on the show and he said that you would be somebody really good to reach out to, uh, to really hear talk about health, wellness in general. And one of the things that he really wanted to see is what balance looks like for you in your health. Because I also want you to go into a little bit like synchronized swimming, how that all comes into play. Just if you want to give a little bit of background on that and really show them how you're able to balance out your health uh, while competing at such a high level, please. Mm, okay. Well, let me preface everything by saying that I, until just recently, was very much in favor of let's overtrain, let's do 10 hour days, let me be the best at absolutely everything, forgetting if I can sustain anything, it's all about being the best and everything else can go out the window, health is whatever, it's all about being tough and, and being um, almost like, I, I told Mike, we're, we're synchronized swimmers are like Navy SEALs with, with some makeup and some sequins, like we have to be so tough, <laughs> we have to be so intense and it's the ultimate team sport. You have to be able to rely on your teammates. I mean, they you have to know that they're going to go on the right count so that we can all be synchronized and, and look essentially perfect. So that's that's what I was all about until just recently. I was about perfection, which I think um, it, it's fair to say that not only is that elusive and abstract and something that is not going to happen, it's perfection is not real. Um, so I, th I definitely think that that's an important piece of background on me. And I think had I not have gone into this starting at 11 years old so like gung-ho about it like when I do something I'm all into it I'm all in um, and I go, I go really hard at everything that I do and I want to be the best so I think having that and starting on on that foot on that note got me to where I am today and now I'm at a place in my life I, I just turned 21 I'm at a place in my life where I'm realizing that 
the world that I've been so tunnel visiony living in is so much bigger than this. And for so long, I was afraid to, to step out of the boundaries that I created for myself because I thought that that would somehow make me weak um, or the thing that I was afraid of being balanced. Um, but I'm starting to see that when you branch out and you develop not just this one area of who you are, you get the whole picture, the full illuminated, beautiful circle, then that's when it really does become something special. Um, so I started paying attention to how I was eating, what I was eating, how many hours I was in the pool. I started speaking to sports psychologists, to personal psychologists, figuring out why I, I had issues with letting things go and why I couldn't get past these certain barriers in the pool. And and what I'm starting to see is that if I want to be the best at what I do, whether it's synchronized swimming or or anything in the rehab science area, which is what I'm now studying in, in university, um, or if, you know, I want to be a great mom, whatever, whatever it is that I want to do, I, I can't, I can't just focus on one aspect. I have to look at the whole picture because that, I mean, that's just it. It's, it's a whole picture. I want to be a whole person because it, it doesn't feel right to be just a piece of a person. Um, so actually Mike was incredibly, uh, incredibly helpful in this process. He, he cares so much and, and pays so much attention to what he puts in his body that that inspired me to, although what, what he puts in his body is very different from what I do mine. It inspired me to take it seriously, which that that's the point there um, to look a little bit deeper and why I do what I do and not just do it and do it the best, but why am I doing it this way? And why do I care so much to be the best at it? Just to investigate. He, he is a person who inspired me to investigate to look around and, and to ask why, even even if it's difficult and maybe not so pretty. So yeah, I think that's, I, I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking, but that's what came to mind. No, sir, and th- and that's great because that's what, I wanna talk about this like branching out even. What have you almost branched out into? Has that taken uh, just other other things that you've started to develop in your life? Like you said, with the eating even, like what you're putting into your body, what did that look like versus what have you kind of, thought about and really change that over to for yourself Mm, okay so i in our sport it's an aesthetic sport you're always in a swimsuit so the the priority is not only be the best athlete but be the most attractive one um have the the most attractive body the most attractive lines so we're constantly working with multiple nutritionists um doing insane amounts of exercise and I, I used to think that the more I could work out and the less I could eat, the better it would be. And now I wouldn't say it's the complete reverse, but I see food as something that I respect and something that I have to put care into because it is what goes in my body. And, and there's a psychologist who once told me food is medicine. And when she said that, I was like, oh, my God, that's it. I was trying to self-heal all of these issues like with food because it is medicine. And and if you're giving yourself insane dosages or taking really weird combinations, then you're going to get insane um, results. So I just kind of started, I mean, I'm lucky to have a a father who's a physician and a mother who's a nurse um, and to have multiple contacts in the, through our center for sports medicine, the national team uses uh, the center for sports medicine in California for PT and uh, counseling and whatnot. They have excellent nutritionists and, and sports psych and PTs there that all have great backgrounds. So I could, I just started realizing if I get outside of, of this strange reality that I've created that only I'm aware of, if I, if I just get outside of that and entertain new ideas and just reach out to the people that are literally waiting for me to reach out to them, that like these people are my resources. If I just reach out and ask and, and say, this is what I'm feeling can you help me figure out how to do this? Then, I mean, that's, that's when things really started to take off when I was willing to say, number one, what I'm doing is not right because I I feel like it's not right. I I should not be eating this much and then exercising this much. This just isn't working. When I finally sat down and it took about three or four nutritionists to, to kind of get it right. But I, I finally sat down and started telling these people, this is what's going on. This is what's going on in my head. And this is what I'm feeling. How, how can you help me fix this? That's when things kind of started to take off. So I think it's, yeah, it's just a mix of branching out and, and number one, admitting that you want to kind of take another step, a different step, if that makes sense. 
No, it definitely does. And I'm curious, how has your, even your training changed then? Because you said, I, I can't imagine how many hours you were probably putting in the pool uh, if you're talking about now cutting it back. Uh, so what is that even, what has that changed? How has that evolved? Uh, and also, what is the in the pool time uh, exercise look like uh, versus the out of the pool? Because I'm sure there's other parts to it than just being in the pool all the time. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so the first part of the question, kind of the, the cutting the hours back, we train as a general rule in our sport, the standard is overtraining. That has become a very glorified image is the classic overtrained athlete. Um, and what we try and do is, is create sort of, sort of cycles. So like before I went to Pan American games and world championships, it was 10 hour days, no matter what, six to seven days a week while traveling around the world. Like it, I mean, we were just, <laughs> I would, I would sleep on the plane and then I would wake up and we'd be like, okay, to the pool, like forget lunch, like just get off the plane, stretch your feet out if you can, like in the bus, like we're stretching our hamstrings and like ready to go to the pool. Um, that's how that was. And that was literally 10 hours of in the water. Um, and then, you know, once we were done with world championships, we had a couple of weeks off and then you, you go back to more four to six hour days. Um, so it's a little more reasonable as far as I like what, how you call four to six hour days in the pool, a little more reasonable. A little more reasonable. <laughs> a little more manageable. Yes. Yeah. That's when you know that, that you've been, that's when you know you're seeing our summer. <laughs> um, so, uh, and that's an excellent question. What the, the difference between our, our water and land training looks like. So in the water, we are, um, we, we do speed swimming endurance training. So what you would see lap swimmers do, um, we do about an hour and a half, uh, every other morning of that it's mainly long distance and with a little bit of sprinting, but mainly long distance, um, aerobic workouts for tonation and for endurance and for a little bit of fast twitch uh, muscles in our legs to flutter cake and get those fast twitch muscles warmed up. And then after that, we go into what's called technique. Um, and it's isolated, so you stay in front of the coach. And, and we never touch the bottom of the pool. They, our coaches purposefully recommend um, or request a pool that's at least 10 to 12 feet deep so that we can't ever touch the bottom of the pool in the time that we're in the pool. They want us treading. So we'll do technique work, which is like support sculling, which is what we do with our arms to keep our legs out. We'll do egg beater, which is what we do with our legs to keep our upper body out. And we'll do kind of isolated skills. Um, and then we start moving into choreography and into putting everything into the context of a routine. And that's just, it's basically like taking one big spin class. You're just dying um, and trying to, <laughs> trying to, perfect every single person's angle of their face and their chest and their leg because it is synchronized swimming so we pride ourselves on looking the same at the same time in the same way with the same intention so you want eight girls when you're working in the context of a team two girls in the context of a duet um, but when you're working with a team i mean that's eight people's hands that need to be the same at that one piece of choreography and then guess what the whole routine is five minutes long so that can give you some some perspective on why we end up taking eight to ten hours because all eight of those girls need to look the same for those entire five minutes, and you just we we just pick it apart, pick it apart. And <laughs> I talk to people um, in the locker room, uh, other swimmers who just come and, and happen to hear because our coaches yell on microphones so the whole facility can hear, the whole neighborhood can hear. Um, I sometimes ask kind of what they think, and, and they're like, "Man." It sounds like your coaches think that you guys never do anything right because they're just always yelling higher, better, you know, more. It's just, yeah, it's it's entertaining. I'm sure it's that uh, constant uh, trying to achieve perfection, like you said, but really can never achieve or never even be able to achieve. Right. So mm -hmm. if you do that much in the pool, what do you do for relaxation or just kind of winding yourself down then? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm honestly still working with that. Um, I find that breathing, uh, diaphragmatic breathing, with a mix of just kind of repeating a certain set of words that, that happened to in, inspire me that day. Like yesterday, I repeated patience, perseverance, self-love, and acceptance. I'll just I'll lay on my back um, with my arms outstretched towards my sides, and I'll close my eyes, and I'll do about 20 rounds of deep diaphragmatic breathing, and that takes me to a different place. It kind of helps me disassociate with everything physical and just get in touch with my basic soul, basic essence, um, because that's a thing that I 
have been trained to ignore a lot of the time. And I let that become what rules me for this, this special time, this, what I call my personal time. Um, and then once I get through those 20 rounds of breathing, I'll repeat like 20 to a hundred times. If I really, really need to separate from the, the physical and just get in touch with the essence, I'll just repeat patience, perseverance, self-love, acceptance, patience, perseverance, self-love, acceptance until it becomes something that actually resonates with me. And then sometimes I fall asleep and those are wonderful days. And then sometimes I don't, but it, it, every time it takes me to a different place. What does your sleep hygiene look like then too? Because just the expenditure that you put out, and I'm sure it's tough when you're on the road a lot of times, but are you always in bed at a certain time? Are you always sleeping a certain length or just any other things that you really try and keep in play? Um, that's an excellent question. And the truth is absolutely not. There's very little consistency. I, I have learned to really be up for anything and to be able to sleep in a wet swimsuit in 60 degree weather while it's raining on a pool deck for five <laughs> and, and then wake up and be ready to go. Like, I'm not kidding. When I say we're Navy SEALs, like I'm, I'm not saying that for fun. I'm being 100% serious. Um, so I've learned to sleep in those conditions and I've learned to sleep in, in the most beautiful hotels in Toronto, Canada. You know, like I've, I've learned to, and then I've learned to sleep on a plane with somebody who has like pneumonia sitting right next to me. Like I've learned to make whatever situation, whatever physicality happens to be around. I've learned to make that work because if, if you let the idea of, oh, I just, I only slept for 30 minutes. I've been traveling for, you know, I've been on the road for two months and you know, this is so hard and now my performance is totally going to be out of whack. If that's the mindset, then it will be out of whack and, and it, you will be disappointed and it's going to be hard, twice as hard. So I told myself going into um, challenges like when we traveled the world, I mean, we were traveling the world for six weeks. I was dead, literally dead. And we were training 10 hours a day every day. If you go into that telling yourself, I must sleep seven hours, I must go to bed at this time, I must wake up at this time. I mean, that's that's almost setting yourself up to be disappointed because that's that's a schedule that is a little along the lines of perfection. Like, Oh, let me make sure this is all perfectly figured out. Um, I, I tried very much to be that way. And that's just not, that's just not the reality. So I try and view it as a healthy challenge and, and I try and be a realist and, and navigate my ship through that because it is possible. It's not going to be easy, but it is possible. So with all the travel then that you've done recently, where has been the most beautiful place that you've gotten to visit? Ooh, Malta off the coast of Italy. Malta was, it was right in the middle of the Mediterranean. It was just this, this gorgeous island. And, and I, I had always heard people say the Mediterranean is truly blue. But when I saw it, I mean, I, I will never forget how beautiful that ocean was and how, how nice everyone on that island was. And, um, it, it was just so, the experience was so rich. And, and I was with my teammates who are like my sisters. I mean, there's a, there's like a, um, something deeper than family there. It's almost like a, a soldier bond that we have. So, I, I mean, we were going through something so rigorous, so intense, but you, at the same time, we were surrounded by something so beautiful um, that it just, in, in the moments where I would truly want to give up and think like, you know, I'm sorry, I can't move my arms anymore. I, I cannot do this. I would just look around at the, at the Mediterranean Ocean because we would practice in this pool that's surrounded by ocean. And I would just think, I can do this. I can do this because there's a lot more going on in the world than just what I'm feeling in my arms right now. There's, there's more and this is going to be okay. And I'm going to look back and think, this is the time of my life. Yeah, Malta was, it was absolutely gorgeous. And the way the sun would shine and on the water. It was, it was just amazing. Now, how have you really gone to, you, you sound just again, very strong in your mind and yourself. Well, how, how have you developed that to be able to sustain this travel schedule? The, the, the amount of work that you put in the pool, as well as, like you said, studying rehab science. I mean, how, how do you really keep your mind so sharp and so focused on what you're doing? It's mm, a really good question. I think I have an amazing family to which I owe more than 80% of, of my success. I feel like they can take almost ownership of that too. I mean, I, I am so lucky to have such, such a strong, amazing family. I learned incredible work ethic. I learned perseverance. I learned self-love. I'm starting to learn balance and truly get a, getting a hold on what that means. I learned um, uniqueness 
and how to embrace that uniqueness. I learned all of that from my brother, my sister, and my parents. Um, I come from a family that has a, a long line of very strong, independent, beautiful, sharp, bright women whom I respect very much. So, yeah, I think I would have to credit a lot of uh, the sharpness, as you say, um, from having having a wonderful family who is so unconditionally loving. I mean, when you have a source like that, that you know you can always reach to, I just know I'm going to be okay. And the sharpness is, is always, it's always getting sharper. It's like they're kind of what sharpens my blade, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely does. I, that of a, a lot of things I'm sure you could have said, but family, that's, that's an amazing answer where, yeah, family can really keep us together, keep us going. And just that laser like focus, that sharpness, that's incredible. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Sarah, with all of this other stuff going on, then what is your biggest vice? Ooh, biggest vice. Self-doubt. I would say self-doubt is my biggest vice. That little kind of sabotaging voice that sits at the back of your mind at that place that if you take your hand and you try and scratch around, it's like you can't quite get it, but you know it's there. And you can't quite shake it, but but it's it, it's so small, but somehow it's just as potent as as your self-confidence. Um, and then again, that's where that's where family comes in and and that personal breathing time that I was talking about, when I feel like there's something I can't handle and that voice gets stronger and stronger and, and that doubt starts playing into everything that I am and everything that I do, that's when I know I need to take a step back and, and take some of that breathing time and, and hopefully kind of let my soul, that essence come to the surface and, and quit paying, paying so much attention to the physicality because you start to lose yourself when you become 100% physical and you lose touch with your basic essence, you lose yourself. So I think going back to that place of, of breathing helps correct that self-doubt, helps give perspective on where the self-doubt is stemming from. And then uh, family. Like, I'll just say, you know, hey, Dad, what did you feel like when you turned 21 and you were going through, um, you know, falling in love or, or out of it or failing at this or succeeding at this? Like, how did you, how did you deal with it? How did you navigate it? And, and my dad and I have a very similar language. And, and he knows how to speak to me and, and how to tell the, the stories and how to kind of dig into the philosophical as well as the very literal. Um, and I'll, we'll just sit and we'll talk for hours on a Sunday afternoon. And then that'll give me perspective and I'll think about what he said for a couple of weeks. Um, and usually just kind of letting that seep into my, my soul and my brain, that kind of helps even things out, gives me some perspective. But yeah, as far as advice, um, self-doubt. What's the most recent book you read? The most recent book I read? Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. What was your biggest takeaway? Beauty is very much in the eye of the beholder. And to be 100% raw and open and honest with yourself makes you that way when you interact with the world and other people so that there are no regrets. See, I'm not sure because I've never met, I, I've never read Jane Eyre, so I, I can't go too much deeper than that. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I, I think that's uh, always always some good advice. Uh, speaking of advice, what advice would you take from your eight-year-old self? Eight-year-old self? Eight, yes, eight. What would I, advice would I take from my eight-year-old self? Live life, don't think it. And how could you put that into play right now? <sighs> Trust the hours and hours and years and years of regimented, perfection-oriented, grueling intensity. Trust that that has served you and now start to fly. I love it. Start to fly. What What is your vision for a healthy future, either for for yourself, for your family, your teammates, even? Healthy future. Hmm. Absolutely, um, a good grasp on balance. Um, taking care of ourselves, my, myself, my family, my teammates, the coaches, the USA Synchros, an organization, athletes around the world, people around the world. Um, taking care being interested in loving every aspect of, of being a human, um, embracing the fact that there are multiple aspects. And for me, a healthy future is, is kind of the pioneer of that. When I visualize it in my head is, is a light and it's very much a light of, of knowledge, enlightenment. That's what breaks through things that people don't think can be broken through. And, and I think, just thinking back to that question about how do I maintain my sharpness, 
constant enlightenment. I mean, just like food is medicine, enlightenment is, it's, it's what, it's more than that. It's what feeds your, your blood, your basic being, your existence. That's what enlightenment is. It's, it's a food, it's a fuel for that. So to me, health is, is very much underlined by enlightenment. What area of your health uh, do you need the most enlightenment with currently? Hmm. I think of the word patience. So I'm going to say the mental, the mental arena. And that makes sense. Like you said, you're, you've worked with uh, some of the psychologists, the sports psychologists, which I did that when I was in college as well, like played football. And I think that was the visualization aspect and just being able to see and trust what you were doing. Uh, and coming back to actually, like you said, trust. I think that's an incredible part of it, not just for the synchronized swimming, but I'm sure that comes into play. But really just your life in general, that can be such an important factor that you have to maintain and keep going for all aspects, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Vis- visualization it's is, one o'clock. is a very powerful key. Yeah. Now, when you use the visualization, do you use that for uh, the techniques, the, the, the choreography, I guess, if you will? Uh, or do you use that for other parts of your life as well? That's a great question. I'm a huge visualizer. I'm, I love it um, in and out of the pool in, in every aspect of my life. I love to be able to close my eyes. And it's, it's more than I love. It's, it's a part of who I am to close my eyes and to visualize whether like when I'm reading Jane Eyre and, you know, I'm reading words. So I want pictures in my head to accompany those words. So sometimes I'll be reading and I'll stop for anywhere from two seconds to 20 minutes and I'll just put the book down and I'll just visualize to get a picture of what I'm reading and really get a grasp on what's going on to truly in experience and kind of lose myself in, in those moments. Um, and then absolutely, you mentioned the choreography. Yes, um, when, when we're in the choreography phase, we want to get the coolest ideas. We want to get the coolest connections. We want to make sure that we have the the great formations in the pool and we're moving around the right way and we're looking at the judges at this time and we're playing to the audience here and we're explosive. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'll, we'll be in the middle of a choreography session and my teammates know me so well at this point, but everyone will be like jamming and vibing and like throwing these ideas out and I'll just stop and like lay on my back in the water and just kind of close my eyes for a bit just to figure out something in my head. I'll still be listening to them. So I'll still be in tune with what's going on, but I just need a moment to, to, to kind of visualize and, and to figure out like, oh, if, if we had her foot here and her leg here and her face here, and then we all did this on count eight instead of seven. And then once I can visualize it, then I can articulate it and we can try it. And, and you can see like, oh, that was, that was a really great idea. Or, oh, let's never do that again. Um, <laughs> those are, yeah, let's not do that. Um, yeah, visualization is just, it can be an escape. It can be something that takes you far away from where you're at, or it can be the most focusing thing, the most focusing tool to bring you exactly where you want to be. I think it goes both ways. I think that's what's so great about it, actually. So it sounds like you and what you do is a very artistic thing, uh, artistic sport. How else do you cultivate either that uh, artistic side of yourself or creative side of yourself? Mm, I make a lot of mistakes. I do a lot of experiments. I laugh a lot. I cry a lot. I fall down. I get back up. I embarrass myself constantly. I think that that's how I cultivate just just an undying, passionate spirit, just for life. I mean, when when you're a person who can look around and be inspired by literally anything, even even if you're sitting in a pitch black room, if you can look around and be inspired by what's around you, you're going to be okay. You will create something beautiful. The people around you might think that's strange at first or kind of question what you're doing or think like, oh, that's that's a little weird, but you're going to touch them no matter what. Um, you're going to touch the audience no matter what if you can play with them and, and tell them what you're feeling in a way that's different than words. Yeah, just just I mean, just waking up, getting out of your bed, figuring out how to look around you and be totally amazed at any given point. And then to articulate that in some way other than words. So honestly, just, I mean, a warm-up exercise for being artistic is waking up, looking around and saying three things that inspire you and then taking that and, and trying to put it into a body movement or sing it. I mean, that's, that's enough for me. That's enough fuel for, for my artistic spirit. 
So what are the three things that uh, you, you came up with this morning? <laughs> um, I got out of my bed and I have this pillow that's covered in pearls. It was like 99 cents from a dollar store. And it was one of those things where, where you're looking around all this junk and you see it and you're like, yes, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's just covered in pearls. And, and it reminded me of, uh, of the Victorian era, which is um, when, when Jane Eyre was written. Uh, so I'm in kind of a Jane Eyre phase right now, I guess. Um, <laughs> very uh, feminist, pioneering women, undying soul phase. Um, so yeah, I, I looked at that pillow and I thought, oh, pearls, pearls. You know, you find those at the bottom of the ocean. And that kind of made me think of mermaids and deep sea divers. Um, so I just kind of started rolling around on the ground. And I, it started out as me truly like rolling out my IT bands. And then it turned into some sort of floor dance thing. Um, and then I just ended up laughing and, and happy and thus far I'm having a great day. So I, I'm curious then, uh, all this talk about the, the more of the Victorian era, where would you go if given a time machine besides the Victorian era right now? Mm, given a time machine. And what would you do? I would go back to the pilgrims sailing over on the Mayflower. I would be a passenger on that ship and I would have my little journal and my pen and I would be walking around talking to as many people as I could asking, why are you doing this? What is it that makes you want to break off from your mother nation that you've known for so long and walk head on fearless into a future of complete unknowns? What is it that you are so passionate about? What is it that draws you to the new free world? Um, yeah, that would be a blast. Yeah. What do you think somebody would say? As a human, we have a right to explore freedom, to decide what that means for each of us as individuals, and then in finding the answers as individuals, to find those around us that we vibe with and to go off and do something beautiful with it, to follow what we feel very strongly. Basically, what I'm saying is I value the concept of freedom. I would stop it at nothing to keep that safe that concept that thing freedom it's it's so basic to to being a human being um and i don't i don't mean in kind of a silly flitty surface like way like oh let's just be free and do whatever we want at any time if that's whatever i'm talking freedom like to pursue one's happiness to work hard and achieve every bit of one's dreams in in the biggest most beautiful most genuine way possible um to, to manifest what's going on inside me, what's going on inside us, that's freedom. Turning your ideas into something real and honoring every part of that process and, and working hard and being honest in, in every part of the process and enjoying and sitting back and, and looking at the product and thinking, man, we did this. It's not just a dream anymore. It's real. Um, and so no, what is it your wasn't. current dream? Um, my current dream. My current dream is to be on an Olympic team that when we swim together, our vibe is undeniably there. Like all eight of our hearts are beating at, at the same time. Like we're, we're all so equally passionate about what we're swimming. Yeah, that would be unreal. Um, yeah, that's my current dream as far as swimming goes. And then outside of swimming, to get going in the body work field. That's, that's why I, I chose the major rehab science. I don't necessarily know if PT is, is the road I want to go. Actually, when I was nine years old, I decided I wanted to be a forensic pathologist. So it's, I, I know it's something in anatomy and physio. It's definitely going to be something there. Um, but yeah, get, getting the education, getting the credentials, getting all the you know, to-dos checked off, and then getting going in that field. I want to get back to talking about your family for a moment. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is the story that your family loves to tell about you? Oh, okay. Um, I have a little sister, and... She was probably eight, so I was probably uh, like 14. Um, we were at home in the kitchen, all sitting around the table, and I was telling my parents that I needed a new backpack because I lost it at school or I couldn't find it, and, and I was a very forgetful kid. I was always leaving stuff wherever and focused on something else. Um, and my sister, she just, I, I could tell she was listening to the story, and and she kind of interrupted in the middle of nowhere and said, you know, Sarah, I think it's just because you're a loser. And I was like, excuse me? But she meant loser in the literal sense, like you lose things. Okay. So she was like, I think you're just a loser. 
I was like, okay. Yeah, they love to tell that story. Because <laughs> she said it so honestly. I should just, you lose stuff. You're a loser. And that's the beauty of talking about like an eight-year-old self is just, it's going to be honest. There's not going to be right. a, a filter on there. It's just, you're going to get exactly what you get. Yeah, exactly. So what is something that, what is what is your biggest stressor in your life now? And what are you really doing to uh, mitigate that and really turn it into a positive for yourself? Hmm, my biggest stressor. Again, I'll go back to patience. Um, my biggest stressor is, is myself because I tend to be a person who when something like, let's take, I, I'm printing a, a paper that I wrote for class and the printer decides to not work. That's just like unacceptable for me. So I kind of, that that's enough to kind of send me on a, a, a crazy road but that, I mean, that's that's not the printer's fault, and it's not the printer that stresses me. It's it's something from within me. So I, I've started noticing myself, and I'm really happy. Uh, I've started noticing myself instead of like going into a you know a for fun battle of like curse words with an inanimate object. I'll stop and I'll just I'll just breathe. I'll do those deep diaphragmatic breaths that that I was talking about. And my family, like my sister, will be sitting on the couch and she'll look over and be like, Sarah, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I'm breathing, Becca, I'm breathing. She goes, right, okay. <laughs> it still freaks them out a little bit, but that's that's what I'm doing to help kind of mitigate it. And it, it truly is working. What's one law that you think everybody should break? Does it have to be a true, um, like, legalistic law, or, or could, can it be? You could give any answer. I'm, I'm just interested to see what you're going to go with. So we can take this any avenue you want. A rule that everyone should break. Okay. Um, that unspoken yet so potent and in everyone's heads rule of political correctness, I would say throw it out the window. So if you're throwing political correctness out the window right now, what would you say? <laughs> what would I say? Okay. Um, are there, are there any, I guess, bounds that you would kind of prefer that I stay in? You can go wherever you like. Don't worry about it. Okay. Throwing political correctness out the window. I would say... I would, I would look up at the sky with a microphone and I would say, God, I'm 21 years old and I still can't figure it out why women have periods. They completely suck. I'm on mine this week. I have a lot of cramps. I feel really bloated. So I'm not in a good mood. And I'm really not thankful that women have periods. I think men and women should switch for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would say. I, I don't know that I can ask any more questions after that. That was probably the best thing that you could have gotten to. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I like it. No political correctness. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'm not sure how all the guys feel, though, about the switching off of those roles. Yeah. I, I don't know that we could handle it very well. <laughs> so then if there's what, what should it be then that we have to switch? What role would we? Uh, so, OK, guys have to have periods for a few years what would it be that uh women would have to take on mm. oh not having to wear a shirt just i'm wearing less clothing that's actually i i can understand why you want to throw the pc out the window here that makes a lot of sense because and and that's also another thing though too that's really depends on the culture how big of a deal that even is right all right so let's let's switch this up a little bit and kind of going off i guess maybe the political correctness but what is the one question that I haven't asked you that I should? Um, <laughs> oh, if I could be an animal, what would I be? All right. That's actually on my list of questions that I ask people uh, sometimes. So that's that's perfect. What what animal is it? I would definitely be something that flies. So I would be in, in the bird family. And I think it would either be a hummingbird or a swan. Now, those are two very... I think of as different birds. Uh, yeah. What what kind of draws you to each of those? And now that I think about this, you're somebody who's in the water all the time, and yet you went with something with flight. So I'm also interested to hear a little bit on that. Okay. So I think hummingbird, because for something so tiny, so small, um, they have such confidence. Like when they're flapping their wings, you can barely see it. And they have these big puffed up chests, yet they're so small. So you know that they're proud. There's a confidence there. There's a literally a, a lightheartedness and a, and a quickness, just a readiness for life and for anything. 
um, this vibrancy, uh, vitality for, for something so small. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have the swan that is, uh, you know, a great deal larger than a hummingbird. The neck, I mean, a swan's neck is just never ending. It's elegant. It's beautiful. It's unique. It stands out. It's something that you see on a lake from, you know, two miles away. And they just kind of glide. They sort of just glide and walk on the surface. Um, I, I like that their neck is a bit like a giraffe. That So there's a, an air of, of aboveness, like they see things from a different perspective, yet they're still, they're still in the water. They're still very much grounded. So I like that, that kind of combination. So the swan is a little more philosophical and a little more for aesthetics. And the hummingbird is a little more for that, just that kick. Everybody loves a person with kick. Um, <laughs> a hummingbird's like a sports star. You know, it's just fun. Livens up a room. And uh, sorry, what was the, the second aspect? So that, oh, yeah, swimming. It, it was right. So you're, you're always in the water, but you took uh, two birds. I, I feel like those are almost very different uh, territories, if you will. Exactly. And I, I think um, I think back to what I was saying earlier that I, I can't remember what the question was, but I was saying, well, you know, I make a lot of mistakes. I embarrass myself. I, I just, you know, I have fun, look around and just play with life. Um, I, I'm the type of person that walks in to that class on the first day and I have n- I've done none of the prereqs. I'm not qualified to be in the course at all. And I walk straight to the front and I sit at the very first desk right in front of the professor. I'm like, got my pen out, got my paper, and I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm that person. So if, if I spend, you know, in my head, if I've spent my whole life swimming and, and being a, a water creature, I want to go into a territory that I have no experience with, and I want to be totally immersed in it. So and if you were going to teach a class to maybe high school seniors, what would you get up in front of them? Uh, maybe they're unprepared, not ready, like coming in on the first day of class. What are you going to share with them for the year? Mm-hmm. High school seniors teaching them for a year. Something with public speaking. Something involving presentation, uh, how to address people, um, how to open your mouth and speak, whether it's to one person in a casual setting, like, oh, you just ran into your friend at the mall and, and you want to talk about, I don't know, politics, or you want to talk about something that happened yesterday, or you want to stand up in front of a, a group and truly give a presentation to try and sell yourself or, or your product to this group of people, either way, either spectrum, just getting, getting comfortable in your own self, your own skin, your own body, your mouth, your thoughts, and articulating them, making them real, translating them so that other people can share in what you're thinking. So some sort of public speaking presentation, um, even going into body language and gestures, what, what all those things indicate, kind of that unspoken language that, that speaks louder than words. I would get them up. I would have them interacting with each other, with me. It, it would be um, it would be such a dynamic class. So why is that something that needs to be taught? Do you, do you feel that, uh, it's either not taught or just young people in general really aren't very good at that articulation, whether it be in a one-on-one setting, uh, a group setting, whatever it might be. The more I speak to people, not only my age, but, um, say my brother's friends, he's, he's 30, 31, I believe. And my sister's friend, she's 15. Um, even, even my father's friend, my parents' friends. So uh, we're, we're talking age spectrums all over the place. I guess I have such an ardent fire, such, such a strong burning passion for, for life and for communication within me that when I look around and I see people who I, I feel instinctively that they have it, but they just, for whatever reason, can't own it, can't bring it to the surface and, and share it with the world, I, I take that home with me. That's one thing that sometimes disrupts my sleep is I I do take that home with me. And I I think what is keeping them, if I could not necessarily solve their problem, everyone has to take ownership of that that for themselves and and find their own way. But if I could spark something or or help tear down one little wall that they've built up to start that process of self-ownership and and self-love and just getting in touch with with who you are and, and sharing that, if I could contribute anything to that process... Um, not only would I feel wonderful, but I know that they would be in a, at least a bit of a better place. Now, how can you tie that into your studying the rehab science? You said like you really enjoy the anatomy, the physiology. How can you blend those two together? Mm. Our anatomy and our physiology is ours. Um, it is so ours. When I see someone who uh, they're limping, they have a cast on, 
Um, there's a huge cut. They're walking with turned in feet instead of parallel feet. Um, when I see those things, it's I, I'm, I'm drawn to them. Um, we don't speak just via our words, uh, written or, or speaking them through our mouth. We, we speak in, in how we move. So if, if someone is having an issue with moving, that's going to transfer into every part of their lives. Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, but it will. And, and I want to be a person who can, I, I want to be a resource. I want to be someone that people can come to when, when they're having issues with that, that moving, that basic part of, of being. And I want to help. I want to help figure it out. I want to help if, if they're interested to make sure it doesn't happen again and, and help them through that process of, of growth. Yeah, that's how I would combine the two. I think that's a, a great combination because the issues with movement can just manifest in so many different forms. Uh, so being able to, to help with that, uh, I can appreciate that being a physical therapist where, yeah, people have those movement issues and it can stagnate a lot of other areas of their life for sure. What has been the most difficult movement or maybe injury uh, that you've had to overcome? Mm, shoulders, um, impingement, bicep tendonitis, especially on the right side. That's been a battle for a good three years. And the past year, but especially the past six months, have been a complete turnaround. I've learned so much and opened my mind so much. And it's like with opening my mind came, came opening of the, of the shoulder joint and relaxation of the bicep. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny how that works, but yeah, the, the shoulders, I mean, being an overhead athlete, having the personality type where I just, I'm, I'm like Atlas. I want to carry the world. I want to carry the world having those, those two and, and the perfectionist personality type, just, just being as intense as I am. And being in an overhead sport where we, we like to repeat things a million times, uh, that whole combination was a, a, a fatal one to a certain degree. Um, I guess not fatal because I, I feel as though I am truly recovering and, and branching out, but that was a hard one to get past. What have you done for yourself to get through that? Had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, including myself. <laughs> um, spoken with a lot of PTs. Uh, I did the ortho route and that just didn't feel right. Um, I, I knew there was nothing wrong with me. I just needed to change the movement patterns and change my uh, approach to things. So yeah, talking with a lot of PTs, doing a lot of, I'm a person who, there's a little bit of paranoia that if I'm not doing the biggest, the best, the, the baddest, the most you know intense ass stuff, it's not enough. But the more the more I would listen to PTs and they'd be like, well, Sarah, why are you doing all this like craziness? Just get a TheraBand, tie it to a doorknob, make sure that, that you're not using your trap to do this, this abduction and abduction movement and do like three sets of 15 every day. And then finally, I had this radical moment of acceptance where I just threw my hands up and was like, you know what? What the hell? I'll just do what the PT told me. As crazy as that sounds, <laughs> I'll just do what the PTs told me. And lo and behold, I have had a, a wonderful year. Very good. Very good. So Sarah, now I, I have to ask this to you. So who is it that you would want to hear on this podcast since uh, Mike was the one that helped me to reach out to you and so that we could get you on today? Oh, who would I like to hear? And also what would you want to either ask them or hear them talk about? Hmm. I would like to hear my my teammate and, and good friend, um, Bill May. Um, he is known as the world's greatest male synchronized swimmer. He, I would love to see him on your podcast, actually. And I would like to ask him how he is always, I mean, always in such a, a positive, productive, happy state. I mean, every time I see him, we could have just had a, a horrible night. But like he could have just had food poisoning, not slept for like 15 hours and, and have to go to the pool and compete. And he would be talking to the bus driver and he'd be making jokes and, and he'd be like just, just laughing and make everyone around him laugh and, and just not bringing anyone down, not being like, oh, you know, I just spent the night vomiting and, and I feel horrible. Like it wouldn't be about that. He would just be so happy to be swimming and, and just not bogged down by anything negative. I would ask how, how do you just... How, how is that? 
what do you think he would say? What would his answer be to how he can do that? <laughs> Knowing Bill, he would say something like, um, hmm, what would he say? I should have a good story about that. Um, but I think he, he would just have this huge smile on his face. Uh, he'd probably be eating some candy in the process of, of the interview. Um, <laughs> and he would just look at the camera and be like, I don't know. I think I'm just a happy guy. I, I honestly think he would say something like that. But that, that kind of reminds me of um, he, he went with uh, my duet partner and I to um, what's called World Trophy Cup. Um, it was in Shaoxing, China in December. Um, he went to do his solo and the other girl and I went to do a duet and he was, uh, telling us about this interview that he had to do for, um, I think for ESPN about world championships. That was the August before. And the interviewer asked uh, like about a funny joke or something. And he said that the classic joke to him is you have the Russian competitor, which are our big competitors. And, you, and then you have the American competitor. And he said, just, just picture this, the Russian is, you know, like all these big muscles, he's super scary, he's got this like nasty look on his face, and he walks up to me and he's like, I will crush you. And then me being the American is like, that's nice, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> that just kind of sums Bill up right there. Yeah. So, I mean, you can throw anything at this guy and it's, he's just going to be him. I like it. And uh, you were definitely you on this, so I'm sure, I, I, I certainly appreciate that. I'm sure all the listeners will as well. Uh, Sarah, in closing, where can our listeners find out more about you? If they want to see any synchro, if they wanted to check you out online, where can they go for that? They can go to the USA Synchro website and um, they could even Google USA Synchro Sarah Rodriguez and it'll bring them up to the USA Synchro website and they can read about my profile, accomplishments, history, um, future meets, accounts of, of past meets and kind of past competition records and whatnot, photos. There's links to Instagram and, and all the photo shoots that we've done. So there's some cool pictures. And even if you go on YouTube and just Google synchronized swimming, you will find um, multiple videos of, of not only America, but all, all countries. And uh, that's actually what I did to uh, find a little bit more out about it. And uh, I, I encourage everybody to do so. If you have not seen it before, it's an incredible athletic endeavor, I guess. Uh, like you said, the Navy SEALs of the, of, of the swimming pool maybe – but it, it's something that's really cool to see. And the amount of effort, like you said, that just goes into preparing for it, I'm sure is astronomical. And sorry, you just do a fantastic job. So everybody make sure, go check all of that out for sure. Uh, sir, thank you again for coming on the show today. Uh, any last words you would like to leave the audience with? Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. You are very welcome. Uh, everybody make sure keep an eye out for uh, Sarah on her uh, dream to become an Olympic champion someday. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.